Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ed Krasnick. My partner, Jennifer Kalari, will be along shortly. And our special guest is star of the HBO series, Crashing, and a new CBS pilot coming up, and his own podcast, You Made It Weird, Now We Made It Weird, along with his wife, Val. The great Pete Holmes is here. Pete will be along shortly. We're going to have a great conversation. I feel it. I know it. I'm a comedy dividing rod, and I'm shaking all over the place. If you haven't heard us before, we are the show that unites mental health and comedy. We practice resilient skills, mental health skills, because mental health is more than a topic. It's a practice. That's why we have Jennifer Kalari, who is the founder of ConnectedParenting.com, where she teaches all kinds of skills for kids, families, parenting, self-parenting. She has media. She has many books. She has classes. She has all kinds of support services to help people live happier and healthier. That's the deal. We don't know how our brain works. When I say we, I mean me. I don't know how my brain works. You know, we don't play with our thoughts, with our feelings. We don't explore those kind of things. We practice everything in life. What about thoughts and feelings? and how we respond to them. Is we're going to talk about faith. We're going to talk about spirituality. We're going to talk about the difference between I feel angry and I am angry. What's the difference? Well, you're not your feelings and you're not your thoughts. So if that's the case, then who are you and what are you? And I've been asking myself that since my bar mitzvah. We always start every show by welcoming the people who aren't here, no matter what emotional state you're in. We do emotional shout-outs. Here are emotional shout-outs. If you try to return a relative to Amazon, welcome. If you refer to the bathroom as your office because it now actually is your office, welcome. If you're starting to have dreams in Zoom, welcome. If you considered a career as a mask model, welcome. If you're falling asleep to true crime podcasts, welcome. If you've yelled at your furniture to give you some space, welcome. If you consider lifting a bowl of oatmeal exercise, welcome. And if you're beating yourself up even now, there's always a place for you right here on the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. Now, we have some new items in the Mental Health Comedy Store, soon to be the Mental Health Comedy Mall of America. There's a new roll-on, a new uh, sort of deodorant-style product that's called Chill. Chill is the new kava-infused roll-on. You roll this onto your head for immediate relaxation. This is brain relaxation for your head. Try Chill. Okay, okay. Let the crazy thoughts in your head become music to your ears with OKOKI, which lets you make silly songs out of the craziest thoughts in your head. Perspectacles. Perspectacles is a 3D glasses where you can plug in your biggest concerns and worries and compare them to the greatest wonders of the universe. You may be worried about your phone bill, but when you're looking at the Grand Canyon up close, who gives a crap? Perspectacles. You know, gurus have great laughs. Now with Gurula, you get reminders to laugh. The bearable lightness of being. Throughout the day, you can hear Maharishi laughing. You can hear Thich Han giggling. All your favorite teachers. Gurula. 
live like a guru and laugh like one too. I'm going to do something a little different now. We're going to bring in my partner from the North and the South, as we usually do, the First Lady of Oxytocin, Jennifer Kalari. And we're going to bring in our special guest, just a great comic, writer, actor, host. You've seen him on his own HBO series, Crashing. You've heard him for a long time on his long-running podcast, You Made It Weird, and now We Made It Weird, along with his wife, Val. A deeply spiritual man, a seeker. They call him the seeker. He's been searching low and high. But one of my favorite things, one of my favorite routines that he ever did was on body image. Very brave. And I remember watching it. It was on the Pete Holmes show, which was on TBS. He had his own late night talk show. And he did this piece and it really made me sit up and take notice. It really affected me. Something I really want to tell you, I was having lunch with a uh, friend of mine, Sarah. She's a lady. Uh, We were uh, the other day out, uh, strip mall Panera. Don't worry about it. And get this, I asked her if she wanted to split a dessert with me, but listen to this. She goes, I can't. I know, this kind of sounds like the first act of a Danon yogurt commercial. But Sarah, (laughs) Danon creme brulee has 40% less fat and calories than the leading competitor. How's the taste? Divine. But stay with me. She told me she couldn't get a dessert because she was feeling fat and quote, I hate my body right now. That actually happened. Here's what's crazy. That's the correct response, good empathy. You're not a sociopath. (laughs) Here's what's crazy. My friend Sarah has got a great body. She's what I call a thicker milkshake. I love a thicker milkshake. That's just more milkshake. More ice cream, that's a good thing. I just wish she would be happy with that. Don't get me wrong, I know it's not that easy. There are parts of my body that I wish were different. I mean, for a man, I have some pretty wide, child-bearing hips. (laughs) That's the part that woke everybody up. (laughs) Yeah! In a lot of photographs, I get what I call boob shadow. Uh, (laughs) And there are so many moles on my back, it looks like the night sky. But I've known hundreds, well, two or three women (laughs) that thought that was terrific. And they let me know, and that appreciation helped me see myself as the matronly starry-backed giant that I am. (laughs) And that's my point. Whatever your body type is, I promise you, someone is into it just exactly how you are. Whatever you got going on, someone out there wants to get down with it. Isn't that great news? And it's true. (laughs) Listen to me. If you're at home watching this thinking the ultra-thin model type is the standard favorite of beauty in this world, do me a favor. Heave your Vogue subscription into an active volcano (laughs) and get that shit out of your brain. Big, small, thin, tall, it doesn't matter. Someone wants to buy what you're selling. You just need to find it. And you can. This is the internet age. How old's your little one? We don't know. Um, she's, she's Roams around. She's an old yeah. soul. She's feral. Um, no, she's she's a little over two and a half. She she turned two and a half on the twenty eighth. Oh, I love it. So she is feral. Yeah, two is a fun age. That's they're little cavemen at that age. They're so cute though. Such a cute age. She's the greatest joy of my life. It's um, it's Ed. Do you have kids? I do. Uh, my I daughter is be- my daughter is sixteen now. 
Okay, I want to be careful before I disparage those that don't have kids, but especially comedians that don't have kids. It's it's super. It can be uh, weird. Look, com- comedians are weird to begin with, but if they never, it doesn't have to be a kid. But if they never have something outside of themselves that they like get excited about, like if you're only excited about your career, if you're only excited about those bits and what is a bit, but just an idea that you had that you can't wait for people to celebrate, um, you sort of start to like crumble inwards. Like you, you, you can see it sometimes in the posture. Again, it doesn't have to be a kid, but if all you care about is yourself, it starts to take a toll. Right. And I was on that path. I, I'm conceding that I, I was potentially going to be a person like that. So I'm so glad that I had this great disruption. Yeah. Well, ki- kids will baby. fix that fast. They'll fix that mm-hmm. up for you. Yeah. I so barely, the- I barely yeah. care about Pete anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, yeah. va- I'm vaguely interested in him and keeping him alive and, and well. Good daddy. There you well, go. Her. Well, just the fact that you can talk about yourself in the third person and not be an athlete. It's like a big part of it. If you can do those things, what's good for Pete? But I've heard you talk about this before that, uh, you know, in your, your work, your spiritual work, your work about, you know, consciousness that you're, you, you do think of yourself as a, as a different person. I mean, Uh, yeah. Well, I'm touched that you've heard me say that, Ed. I had no idea. Listen, I'm I'm actually divining it. I didn't hear you say it, but I'm divining <laughs> it because I'm a mystic, as you know. I love um, that. I'm a part-time mystic. You did something years ago that was so profound to me that I st- I remember when I heard it, I like sat up. There's only been two times when I've actually sat up. Mm. One of them when I was was when I was born, and the other one was when I heard you do this. The, the this was the thing you were talking about body image. Uh-huh. Here was a stand-up comic on national TV talked about accepting your body as it is. The, the Pete Holmes show actually only aired in Rhode Island, New York, and Nebraska, but it it, it wasn't national. <laughs> uh, okay, so TBS so it had gave the, us a very specific deal. They were like, "We'll give you Rhode Island, we'll yeah. give you New York, and we'll give you Nebraska." And I, I was like, "Okay, I'll take it." I didn't have a, a leg to well, stand who, on. Whoever whoever was in those states at the time, I think yeah. I was in Omaha. Um, <laughs> I, I I sat up because. You never hear, you so rarely hear a male, first of all, a man, a male talking yeah. about accepting your body, about body image. Yeah. And then and then the, the honesty with which you spoke about it without like b- being afraid of it was so interesting to me. Yeah. And I was like, and I was like, wow, this is really something. Uh, this is a guy who has a different, a different perspective. Also, the fact that you're you're such a funny person and you're such a great comedian, but you're not a cynical person and you're not a sarcastic person, but by nature is, is just a revelation too. I'm not saying that all comedians are sarcastic or cynical, but I'm saying that a lot of it, you know, after you do it for a long time, it gets veiled. Like your emotions and your thoughts get a little veiled. And, and so it's hard to be, you know, transparent or vulnerable or, purely honest without yeah. having a veneer to you, you know, it can yeah. be hard. Well, I think, I think that is encouraged, right? I mean, I think a lot of us are sort of, I don't want to say victims, but like we're, we're doing impressions of other comedy and other comedians. And, and so often it can be really funny to be sarcastic, like the, the, the Chandler phenomenon uh, of just going like, 
uh, my example is always like something fails and and you just go that went well and I'm like I mean at at a certain point that's not really helpful <laughs> you know it, right. I, I I can enjoy sarcasm I'm not like um, beneath it the, the the time that I find it's not beneath me I mean the time that I find sarcasm to be helpful is in a situation where you're with deeply unfunny people like people that just have lost their connection to playfulness. And there's you, let's say me and Ed are at a weird Thanksgiving and like humor sort of off the table because people have lost their connection to playfulness. So my way of communicating love to Ed and tell him, you're not alone. I see what's happening. I heard the racist comment. I heard the weird judgmental, uh, you know, passing throwaway remark. And my way of uh, communicating love to you is actually by being sarcastic. Uh, you know, oh, this, this is great. Uh, oh, at least that wasn't awkward. Then then it can be really, really useful. Like yeah. hospitals are a great place for sarcasm. Church is a great place for sarcasm. Thanksgiving. It's when you need to speak in code. But like you don't always have to – you almost never have to speak in code. If you're a sarcastic person, like if that's your go-to – expression, chances are you're probably in an, in an environment that isn't allowing you to be anything else. But comedians are allowed to be anything they want to be. You don't have to go up and fight, fight the power or rage against the machine. There is no machine. You're allowed to say whatever you want. So if you want to get up and, and say, love your body, nothing is stopping you. But we're still using like a high school or a junior high sensibility in the freest expression possible. I save my sarcasm for church hospitals and family functions. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can save your sarcasm. Yeah, that's right. This is, it's a sarcasm saving program. It's, it's a like last a frequent resort. Yeah. yeah. But, but it's an escape hatch, but like stand-up comedy, nothing could be freer. And what I love that, that, that uh, monologue you're talking about was on the Pete Holmes show. And when I was doing that show, I was, I'm so glad it was this time in my life. I was single. I was just sort of for the first time in my life talking about dating talking about becoming an adult and dealing with those issues of like, of, of body. I, I had enough time to really dive deep into my own psychology. And because I had the privilege of going into an office every day where whatever was on my mind was what we would do a monologue about, that really was a, was a dream gig in mm. that regard. And I could say like, the, the reason that monologue, I wrote that monologue with the room was because I every woman I dated that had curly hair wanted straight hair. And every woman I dated that had straight hair wanted curly hair. Mm -hmm. And that's in the monologue. Mm -hmm. And I was like, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the fact that no one... And I happen to like Rubenesque women. I like thicker milkshakes, is that what I think I say in the, in the uh, monologue. Yeah. And every girl I know, every woman I know that's a little bit heavier... Uh, my wife and I were just talking about this last night. She was talking about growing up and always feeling, as I did too, like you were the undesirable one. Mm -hmm. Because the, the female body that's popular and popularized is what I call the Ferrari. It, it, it's like, it's a sleek, it's very minimal. <laughs> it's very, it's fast, it's tight. You know what I mean? And I, I this didn't make the monologue, but I was like, I like monster trucks. I like big trucks that crush other trucks, that things explode and you get tossed around the cabin and it's exciting and loud. And, and like, that just isn't represented. 
No. Yeah. Even, even on crashing the third season, I was very adamant that the, the character of Kat be a curvy woman. Because because to me, a, a curvy woman is is like a, a unicorn or something. It's like this rare happening. If you see somebody with like a Marilyn Monroe or you know what I'm saying, like that type of figure is so rare because everybody's starving themselves and stairmastering themselves to death to be a Ferrari. And I just wanted to get it out there that I was like, whatever you have, someone is really into it. Like I don't, yeah. I don't pretend to be into it. And if you look at history, they're with me. Go to a museum. <laughs> Everyone's a little well, junky. Not only that, like only two percent of pe- of women actually have that body. The, right. the, the the what do you call the Ferrari body? Like most women don't look like that. And I right. want to say, I want to be very clear. I say Ferrari as a put down. I, I I say all my friends married thin, cold women. I call them popsicles. So I'm using <laughs> I'm using positive words. Ferrari popsicle. I'm a, I'm actually trying to roast it. I'm like I don't like a Ferrari. If I went to a rental car and they were like, we have a Ferrari, I would say no because I want to eat. Uh, sun chips in there, and I, I can't eat sun chips in a Ferrari. <laughs> That's a great title for a kid's book about accepting your body. You can't eat sun chips in a Ferrari. Yes. Is the name of the title. And you don't even really want a Ferrari. Uh, my, my, like people want status. And now we're back to what you said about how I talk about myself in the third person. Something else I do, Ed, to distance myself from these identity games that we're playing, is we're very careful to say the car instead of my car. I say, do you want to take the car, like? I, I say Audi. I drive an Audi. So I say, you want to take the Audi? Because I don't want to say my car. Because what happens is uh, our possessions are, and advertising agencies know this, are extensions of our identity. That's why it hurts so bad when you lose something. So just that way, who you date is is like a, your property. I don't think people think that way consciously, but subconsciously, they're like, I am a success, so I should date a Ferrari. But when the lights are off, do you really want to run your your hands across a drafting table? Like, do you really want to, like, in a pitch black room, do you really want to squish up against a model train? Like, I want round. I want soft. I want generous. I want abundance. <laughs> I, love I love all of it. This is yeah. so important. And, and yeah. you know what it needs to be, it's funny because you say they're rare, but certainly on in movies and magazines rare. Although, you know what I have to say, some companies are actually starting to really challenge this and have models that are more representative of, of, of it's coming, it's starting, but that's so important. And it's so important for young girls, right? They just, you know, they see these unattainable images that, well, and as a therapist, you know, I'm seeing all kinds of issues with, you know, eating issues and dysregulated eating. And it's just, it's so caused by this crazy image of what you think you should look like. Yeah. Exactly. Well, well I, and, and, and we get to the, we get to the other thing, which you talk about identity a lot. And you've talked about identity a lot on your, on your show on you made it weird and, and other things that you've done. A lot of things that you've done is that you're not your thoughts and you're not your feelings. And you're not your identity. Okay, so if this is the case, we're constantly being taught that, no, we are our thoughts, we are our feelings, and we are our identity, which is why we don't know how to, how to respond to those things. It's the difference between I feel afraid and I am afraid. And so my question to you is, where did this all start? Because I remember on Crashing, 
which I was lucky enough to to have a, a, just a tiny, tiny uh, working experience with with you. Yeah, and you were, you were great at running the room. You were so great at running the room and, and doing the show and everything that you did there was so was so interesting to me. So where did this all start? Because I know that you grew up religious. You grew up and it was going to be a teenage preacher life yeah, yeah. for you. Yeah. So where did this all start and how did it evolve? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I do want to address what you just said. Like it, it's a it's a popular uh idea, right? That like that you're not your thoughts and you're not your emotions. And I'm all about that. And that might be a little bit too harsh of a solvent to use to people listening right away. So I, I my wife is very embodied and she's really good at um, balancing out sort of my um, cannonball into the abyss of like everything is everything is nothing in the good way. <laughs> like like I, I don't look at it as everything is nothing. I go like you are consciousness, you are being itself and you're so the common image is that you're like the sky. And your thoughts and your emotions are like clouds and they're, and they're passing. And how could that be who you really are if it goes away? Like, like you're talking about who I used to be. Um, well, how it went away, <laughs> like it changed. So the spiritual pursuit for lack of a better word is, I don't understand why it's not more popular, although I do, it's, it's certainly been ruined in so many ways is being interested in what doesn't change. That's like, that's the cleanest way I can put it. Hmm. It's like another way of putting it is what is eternal? What is unborn? What is doesn't die? And what is your part in that? Um, because everything else is sort of bullshit. And that's what comedy is about. That's why we can laugh about certain things. You can laugh about anything because it's like, it's all just sort of this stuff that's going through. Now, Val has helped me be careful whenever this comes up to be like, we need, we do need to honor our thoughts and our emotions and, and give them like, they're not an error in the system. And, and before I answer your question, Ed, I just wanted to point that out. Meaning if you come to me, Ed, and you're heartbroken, I don't want to just say, uh, Ed, you're just, you're the witnessing presence noticing the heartbreak that that's not helpful. So I don't think it's a error that you feel heartbreak. And I think, I don't think it's my role in that, in that instance to, to just go like, well, let's just bypass that. Like, it's not real. It's stupid. Because they are real. Like, uh, emotions are one of the energies that we're playing with. I find it very beneficial to go, this too shall pass. Like, what was I worried about a year ago? Or what was I worried about yesterday at this time? Or when I die, people will be worrying about stuff. They'll continue worrying about stuff. There'll still be stuff to do. And they'll be worried about it after I'm gone. And I'll have no power to do anything about it. So, like, that will never change. And I just wanted to, as a caveat, I just wanted to be like, we can honor those things and work with them. And, and uh, it's not an error in the system that we're experiencing them. And at the same time, we can go, they're sort of not real, you know, or, or they're not, they're not eternal. Yeah. Nice they're not thing. eternal. I love that. Cause I mean, feelings are information, right? They're there to tell us something. Right. Exactly. If ignore, yeah. If you ignore it, they're going to come back. <laughs> they're going to keep trying to send the message. Right. So, and I think our, our culture is so obsessed with not feeling. They're either obsessed with not feeling, drink something, buy something, smoke something, or distract, or, oh, I've, you know, I've done so much work. I don't feel that anymore. And that kind of bypassing thing. And I think, you know, emotions are part of being human, it's part of being alive. 
it's information. You, you kind of go in, I call it read the disc, right? Get the information, sit with it for a bit. And then I love what you said. Let's just get that perspective and, and realize that it's, it, I love thinking of emotions as weather. Yeah. yeah, And it is, it changes. Like that's, that's what we can all agree on. Like mm-hmm. it will change. Like this isn't a belief system. Like well, exactly. you've experienced that it will change. Right. It, you wouldn't wake up in the morning when it's cloudy and go, well, that's it. That's it That's for the right. sun. Never seeing the sun again. Like you just know, it might be a few days, but the sun's going to come back out, right? And it's actually, I do. do you? I think I think that's it. That's it. And that's and that <laughs> determines. Done. That's where I where I am in my career. I have determined <laughs> that that's it. And I have like thousands of those moments where I say, you know what? Like like I got a parking ticket once, and I my first thought was I got to move back in with my parents. Hilarious. <laughs> And I'm not kidding when I say that. And that's why my brain works this way. And that's why I'm doing this show. Um, so, so no, I'm, but, but anyway, really it's temporary. If you knew just a few basic things and one of them was, this is temporary, your whole life would change. If you look at like the unexpected grace of a near death experience or a diagnosis or knowing that you're going to die, typically those people tend to not not always but there are some accounts of people really lightening up because the feeling is why is everyone taking everything so seriously yeah you panned back the lens right absolutely exactly as if anything's happening Mm -hmm. you sort of get that perspective of looking at humanity like ants if you've ever looked at a a hill of ants and you're like wow they are so lost in their antness they really think this is the only thing going on. They have no outside perspective other than like this breadcrumb needs to get to the queen now. And and people that are told that they're going to die, and by the way, we're all going to die. So you can tell yourself, I'm going to die. That can either be paralyzing. It's a bell curve. It can be paralyzing if, you, if it's uh, too much. But there's a nice middle ground where you go like, what the fuck then? Like, what? Why am I so stressed? About that, or why am I building these terrible stories? So what we're talking about, this is um, Muji uh, had a video on this. He taught me, like you're having a bad moment. You're having a moment that isn't great. You're getting that parking ticket or what. What the brain wants to do is then build a story about that, right? It's, I'm having a bad day. You know, like three, how many bad things before you say you're having a bad day? Right. But like every moment is infinite potential. And that power of snapping out of it and and saying to the brain, dissociating from your brain and saying, I know, I see this thought pattern building. I'm now having a bad day. Nothing goes my way or nothing ever goes my way or I always get parking tickets or the world is unfair or I can't, I'll never have enough money or I'll never have enough love or no one will ever love me. Those are all stories that the brain is doing because of some perverse misinterpretation of a survival instinct. You know what I mean? Like there were berries by that river. There will be berries by that river becomes my mom was rude to me. My mom is always rude to me. My mom doesn't understand me. No one understands me. No one will love me. Like, (laughs) so you can see the benefit of, of stepping away. And, and, and that's what conversion is by the way, in the Christian tradition, conversion isn't like believing a set of thoughts over and over. It's, it's literally changing how you look at reality. And, and there's always a, an emphasis on newness and freshness and, and, and the infinite potential of the moment. Anyway. <laughs> we didn't talk like this. And by the way, you're listening to Pete Holmes and, and Jennifer Kalari and Ed Krasnick on the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. We're talking about something that has many levels to it. But the thing is, 
when I was a kid growing up, I did go to yeshiva at one time. And what I loved about it is we were able to have discussions like this with yeah. rabbis. And it was fascinating. It was absolutely fascinating. I didn't like the rest of the doctrine, which is that, you know, we're separate from the rest of the people in the world. That's not, you know, anytime you're separate, you know, you're being told a, an ego thing or that's something that's not true. But the philosophy and the discussion and the fact that you could be a kid and you could have the floor and yeah. talk to these rabbis yeah. was amazing. I mean, that was a that was a great part of it. And I don't I know, did that. you go? Did you go to Catholic school? Was no, I went to your... I went to Quaker school, which is like they're they're the prime example of giving kids respect. And and we called our teachers by their first names. They let me teach a class because I asked if I could teach a class. Um, it was like incredible. We see you as equals to us. Really, really beautiful. But you know. To speak to your experience in yeshiva, I had a version of that, which was like, like a lot of people and a lot of people that are not religious or, or atheist now, you still have this desire to talk about the question, which is, what is this? That's the only question. Mm -hmm. What is this? Not talking about later, not talking about a building or a structure or religion. I'm talking about this right now that you're currently moving inside of and experiencing. You're having an experience of being something right now. What is this? And we want to talk about that. And I was always a what is this kid. And the place where I found other what is this people uh, was church. The problem you had, uh, Ed, is, you know, you were like, well, we're the chosen people and God came to us and all this sort of stuff. So there's sort of like a cultural tie in there. We had our own version of that in the, in the Christian circle, which was everyone else is going to hell. Even the other Christians, the Catholics are going to hell and, and the Mormons are going to hell. And you know what I mean? Like it was all tribal. It was, it was tribalism. So you go because you want to talk about what is fire, what is air, what is consciousness, what is whatever it is. And you get a little bit of that, just enough to kind of keep you there. But most of what you get is all of these ego-pleasing fence posts. You, you get, we're in, they're out, we're right, they're wrong. Um, and you get we programs, have, we have the right? Yeah, programs. They, they are programs. Yeah. Exactly mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. And that's very, very pleasing to just run, run the program and to just know that you're in. Yeah. But I didn't really get the full satisfaction of knowing that I was in because when you know you're in, then, then you, nobody really talks about this. You're sort of quietly doubting, am I really in? Could it have been that easy? Like, I, I don't feel do any I different. Be in? Yeah. And do I, and do I want to be, in? I just knew I wanted to go to heaven. Anytime there was an altar call or if somebody was like, do you want to accept Jesus? I, I would do it again, again and again and again. Anytime, if I was visiting a church and they were like, is anybody not saved and you want to be saved? I would just double down. Or if there was a little visitor's card that you could fill out and any paperwork, any paper trail I could get, <laughs> that would be like, God yeah. could look at this and be like, he filled out 15 visitor cards. I mean, I must have prayed the sinner's <laughs> prayer a thousand times when I, before I was 12 because, because I believed grownups when they told me, they told me, you show up here. This is insane. And then when you're vulnerable and, and young and, and inexperienced, someone goes like, well, I'm old and I'm experienced and I'm telling you that this is just uh, a life and what you do in this life determines what happens to you after this life. And there's two choices. You could go to heaven or you could go to hell. Uh, why wouldn't I believe them? These people had wallets and credit cards. They had keys. They had houses. They had mm -hmm. hair. They had khakis. 
mm-hmm. uh, like big flowing hair or balding hair, like grown up hair. And I'm just like, these are the same people telling me to get shots. These are the same people telling me to brush my teeth, telling me when to go to bed. Why wouldn't I believe them when they told me? So my feeling as a kid was, why isn't everyone believing them? And even the believers, I was like, why Why are you becoming a car salesman if you believe that if you don't pray this prayer, you go to hell? All we should be doing is mission work, basically. That's all we should be doing, which is insane. Um, but any, Meaning this life is just a waste. It's just a holding place for the real thing, which starts later. But anyway, I can answer your your question now. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's no, good. It's good. This is all this good information. And this is good, uh, by the way, Pete, for, you know, on our show, we talk a lot about, about skills and about people practicing, you know, mental health and resilience. What I love about this conversation is this is talking about a spirit where you don't even, you know, how does that work with day-to-day life? How do you live day to day with um, knowing that everything is temporary and that the feelings are temporary, the thoughts are temporary, you're not, that's not who you are, you're a bigger consciousness. How do you practice those kind of things? And you have a kid now, so how are you going to raise your, so all of these kinds of things is very interesting to me. I want to hear Jennifer respond to it too, because, you know, religion, you work with kids and families all day. How much of faith comes up in what you what you're doing? Well, it's it's interesting because I have so many thoughts in my head based on what Pete said. But but I think for me, it's all it's really about spirituality, right? And and we all ask the question, "Who are we? What is this?" And I kind of feel like my my feeling is that we're all pure consciousness, just having an experience as us, right? So I'm not Jennifer Calary. I'm pure consciousness having exper- an experience as Jennifer Calary. So I'm, I'm here to kind of experience everything. So back to Pete's point about thoughts and you know weather and feelings that are temporary. I feel like they're it's all part of the the ride, right? To to figure out what this is all about and who we want to be while we're here. Right. And whether you want to be in a place of victimhood, this sucks. Everything happens to me. This is terrible. I have the worst day. Or if you're going to be a student, how can I be the best version of me given what's going on and then still honor feelings and thoughts at the same time? So, you know, one of the things I tell my clients too is you, you remember when you're, I don't know, when you're a kid and you could have those little flip pads and you could draw like a little stick figure and then you could actually, that's, cartooning, right? You can make the little stick figure move. Sure. Each moment in life is one of those pictures. And you get to decide which direction it goes and where it keeps going, right? Are you going to follow the program or are you going to write your own program? Are these stories yours or are you the storyteller, right? And that's that's kind of what I want to bring. And, and, I, and I feel like it's important because it doesn't matter what people's programming is or what their religion is. I think those are ideas that people can really live by and understand and, and to move out of victimhood. So many people live as victims and they don't even know it. They're not even aware, but you just need to ask the question, how can I be better? What can I do differently? How can I be my best, the best version of myself given these set of events? This kind of self-questioning, these are really good things. You know, we, we, we've lost, there's so much noise. There can be so much noise and so much distraction that we've, you know, it's easy to lose touch with the fact that you can ask questions. You can ask yourself questions. You can actually stop in the middle of the day and say, what's going on with me right now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a good thing. Actors are taught how to do it, but most people don't do that. What's going on right now? Where am I? 
What's happening? You know, these these interruptions, these pauses, things that we now look at as pauses, but maybe during evolution was you could sit by a rock for an hour and a half before getting eaten by a dinosaur. Mm. It would just would just be how life was. But now that you can you can fill up your entire life with noise everywhere. I don't think like uh, pornography, for example, is, is really about sex. It's about getting away from your uncomfortable unconscious oh, yeah. feelings it's basically rock climbing I, I don't mean to demoralize it there, there might be a moral issue there for sure but like it's it's just getting you in a flow state where you're escaping so you're having an intolerable feeling it might be i'm a bad person or i'm unlovable and instead of dealing with that you just kind of escape and and i'm saying that as someone who's done that it, it's not like oh you idiot I'm just saying it's it can be helpful to go like this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. But I did want to say like I I loved what you said Jennifer that like if we take the idea that we are awareness and awareness wanted to have an experience and, and that's basically the bedrock of most of the mm-hmm. major religions Absolutely. is that there was that there was one awareness we call that god there was an original consciousness and then the one became many. So we split into all these things. And I find it very helpful to go, because you guys are saying, talking about being the the best version, I might say it a little bit differently and and talk about like um, surrendering to what's happening. Mm-hmm. Meaning mm-hmm. there's kind of like a, a, a the Tony Robbins. I like Tony Robbins. I'm not putting him down. The Tony Robbins, like, well, how can I make this productive like and learn from this or whatever? Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. there's also, there's a, like a lot of time in my life where, you're just feeling anxious or you're feeling depressed or you're feeling angry or you, whatever it is. And the the most helpful mantra or, or just thing that I say over and over to myself that's so helpful that I'm so grateful that I get to share on this podcast is yes, thank you. So you're feeling mm-hmm. anxious and you say to sort of tell the story that you were telling, Jennifer, I am the universe experiencing anxiety. And if you can not judge it, but witness it, mm-hmm. and an image that Val and I use a lot is let it in, let it in to have tea, like let it sit down, let your self-loathing in, let your greed in and let it have it say with you, let it expand. Don't try to get rid of it because now you're that's your aversion and you're pushing against it and that just energizes it. It's the most confusing thing, and we can even despiritualize this and just say psychologically, your brain does not know what to do when you are so upset and you say, yes, thank you. It just doesn't know what to do. It's like pouring water on your computer. The whole thing fries and smokes. So when I'm having a big letdown or a big disappointment, I was feeling depressed uh, for like three days, uh, a couple, maybe last week. And it didn't lift. Uh, and actually, it didn't lift. But I just started saying, yes, thank you. And I started trying to have that alien appreciation. The It's like very hippie. It's like far out. This is what it feels like. Because if you if you take one consciousness splitting into many, take that to its logical conclusion. It wanted it. This is my new understanding of God. It wanted it. It wanted to play Pete Gets Divorced. Pete then turned that into a TV show and displayed that for other people. 
That's more evidence that we like watching that stuff. We like the episodes of our life where things go badly. We want to see what we do. How do people respond? What happens? We don't want a conflict-free experience. Like well, we really don't want it. We're far kinkier than that. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, would we read a book or watch a movie or play a video game for that matter where everything went exactly the way we wanted, we'd get bored. Right? That's exactly so right. Contrast mm-hmm. and contours are what we're here to kind of figure out, right? So, like, you know, yeah. it, and what you did, what you do when you let, when you kind of sit with an emotion, first of all, all emotions are self preservatory, right? It's not trying to ruin your life, your anxiety or your depression. It's trying to save you, it's doing everything it can to keep you protected, but it just does too good a job sometimes and overdoes it. So, when you, like, I teach my clients, and I do this myself, if I'm, feeling completely overwhelmed for a moment, or I'm super anxious in this moment, or I feel really sad, I do a few different things. The first thing I do is I literally put my hand on my heart and I say, okay, I feel this way because I care so much, right? Even if I've just gotten angry at someone, I'll just take a second. I'll go, okay, I'm yelling and I'm doing this because I care so much. Right there, it flips my frontal lobe on, right? The part of my brain that sort of takes that perspective. Then I kind of realized, okay, so I am a human being. This is how humans feel when they feel like somebody, you know, has let them down or, or your child's been disappointed by something and you just kind of sit in that experience. And then what you do as you sit there, as you kind of immerse yourself into it is you're alchemizing it, you're metabolizing it, you're neutralizing it, right? So as you sit with it and welcome it in, have have it over for tea, as you say, Pete, Uh, first of all, your brain doesn't know what to do. But it really, all it wanted you to do was that. It just wanted you to listen in the first place. Otherwise, it keeps chasing you down the street, right? And we'll keep running. Right, and we'll right. keep buying things and you know, distracting ourselves and drinking things and smoking things until it uh, consumes us, basically. So when you kind of sit there and you almost go, you almost imagine there's like a meridian right down the center of your body and you kind of put your consciousness right in the center of your body and you say, okay, well, I'm going to just sit here with this feeling and you kind of relax yourself into it, you will literally metabolize it. And it's terrifying. It's so scary. So many people will do everything possible to avoid this. But this is really what you need to do in order to let the emotions finally stop running. Because they're like, good, finally, he stopped. Finally, he sat still long enough to actually let me speak to you. And and just quickly, like the idea of being your best, I want people to understand when I use that to, to your point, Pete, I don't mean every day your best. I mean the best you can do that day. So if that day you suck and you yell at everyone, that's the best you could do that day. And you you forgive yourself and you repair and you realize that you're human and that's that's all you could do that day. And then the next day, can you do better that day, given what you've got that day? That's interesting. You just made me realize I didn't mean behaviorally. I meant internally. Mm. So my attitude mm. internally, I do want to do my best externally. Internally, my best is a state of surrender of and yes. a, flu- a fluid sort of trying to move over things like water and not take things too seriously. So I can be very Tony Robbins. I can be like, I was shooting something and every day I would be like, okay, um, like something that I did, they, because I was, I was the, I don't know how to say this without, I was the lead of this show. And so they wanted to get me back to set and they were like, okay, cut in line of the COVID tests. They were like, we needed a cut in line of the COVID test. But there was only one person really. And I was like, I wish, so in the car ride home, I was like, ah, fuck, that was an opportunity 
to be irrationally loving. Like I had every right to be like, yep, I'm the star. They need me back on set. I'm going to jump in front of you. Right. Um, But I was like, I'm all about that irrational. Like if something doesn't make sense, that is such a good sign to me. Mm -hmm. Meaning I'm going to let this person go. In my former life, I would have done that to look like a good guy. And I will concede that there's still some of that working that I want to look like, a, oh, I'm such a, like a Tom Cruise. No, 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 you go like, like, like such a great guy. Wow. What a great guy. That's still part of it. But yeah. really at the end of the day, I want to go like, like when my dog is really pissing me off, that's when I'll give my dog like a whole piece of chicken. You know what I mean? Like, it's mm-hmm. probably the most confusing uh, reward system to him. I bet your dog's going to have a lot of bad days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and a lot of chicken. It's yeah. usually it's usually ten minutes later because I'm mad at him and I'll go ah you ah, I don't like you right and then ten minutes later I'm giving him uh, a snuggle let's yeah. say I'm snuggling him and it's because I'm I, he doesn't know I'm still mad at him but I, I I'm like why do I have this dog and that's when I'll cuddle him so similar like I'm always just looking for the thing that doesn't make sense that's a message that I got very clearly one day was like if it doesn't make sense that's a good sign. So well, I love that. That means the, you're like steering into the skid. Like yeah. you're just kind of doing the opposite. And a, and a lot of what I teach at Connected Parenting and in our methods is is kind of doing what's counterintuitive. You know, doing the opposite sometimes is usually where the answer lies. Mm-hmm. Well, you right. say you say a lot of the time, Jennifer, if you're a parent and you're screaming at your kid and it feels good, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You're being a jerk, right? If it feels fantastic coming out of your mouth, mm. it's not right. It should mm. feel like you're pushing it down and like, oh, like you should feel yourself doing that inhibition, right? And you know what? When you blow it, you go back and you repair. Because I want to say something too about people who are listening, because there are some people who are like, I can't go into this dark stuff. It is so scary for me. It is so fractalizing. It is so terrifying that I can't. I want people to know that sometimes it is okay if you have to use strategies to kind of protect yourself a little bit. Because if you've been blocking things for years and years and years, and you're like, okay, I'm going deep into this, it's like a floodgate. I'm reading this book. It's called Existential Kink. It's why I said kink earlier. Mm -hmm. And it's all about basically the thesis of the book. It's this Carl Jung quote. He says, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will rule your life and you will call it fate. Somebody told me the premise of this book, which is trying to be honest, deeply, aggressively honest with your kinks. Like, what do you do that you think you don't like, but you really like it? So it's this sort of guide. I've only read a a couple chapters, so I'm not an expert, but I'm saying it's, it's sort of walking you into like, let's make unconscious things conscious because then they won't have rule over your life anymore. So I start telling Val this. I'm like, oh, wait, I like a big thing on my podcast. Is I used to talk about how my mom was in love with me and there was this like sort of Oedipal thing going on and how gross and icky that was. And then at a certain point I was like, what are you crazy? You loved it. Like you loved it. You freak. Like, like that was very liberating for me to be like, stop acting like you didn't love it and that you weren't like jealous when your mom wouldn't shower you in all this weird love. Um, But I I do want to say it was emotional. It was never physical or anything really super strange or whatever. So I started telling Val about this book. I was like, I'm doing this with everything. I just want to own, um, here's, we we already talked about one. Is there a kinky part of me that does like cutting the line at COVID? Yes, yes, 
you fucking freak. You love being number one on the call sheet and big important guy and bring me a coffee and somebody get me a juice. Like you fucking freak. You love it because nothing is serviced by my pretending that I don't love it. And I'm just talking about interiorly. I don't want to go around no, and, see, and tell people. Is, I think this is right. huge, what you're saying. Well, you're accepting, you're, you're talking about the difference between resi- what happens with resistance and what happens with saying, yes, thank you. Well, dishonesty a, too. I don't want to delude well, myself. No, but it, Jennifer, I, I want yeah. to put it back to you, but it was, yes. it was directly tied to what you said. And then I want to give it to you because you said we need to be careful. Because I was like, I love this book. And then Val, the first thing Val said was, I think if I gave that book to blank, this person we know, it would destroy them. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, But you have yes. to be fairly integrated, right? In order to handle that. There's a reason why our body sets up some of these checkpoints for us. And that's why mm-hmm. therapy is a great idea or having support and people who can, can be with you during this process. We're always in this fight between our ego and our higher self. Always. That's, and, and humans are messy. We're messy. We just are. And nobody sees the world. We're the star of our own movie whether you're the star or not. Like that's just how yeah, humans yeah. are, right? That's right? But if you can tune in, am I in my integrity or am I out of my integrity? And in that moment, if you knew you were needed on set and you didn't want to show that, oh, look how important I am. I'm getting ahead of you. It really literally was because you didn't want to let people down and you had stuff to do. Then by all means, go to the front of the line. If you want to let somebody ahead of you because you know what? I don't really care. I'm, I mean, we can wait. That person's as important as I am. I don't need to do it to be nice. I'm not doing it to make anyone think I'm super kind. I'm just c- cool with it. Then do it. If we start to pay attention to our how our bodies speak to us and whether we're in our integrity or out, because humans only have two emotions, like really love and fear, right? And showing off and gossiping and yelling and screaming and being afraid. That's all fear lying, stealing. It's all fear, all fear. And so as long as you're operating from a place of love, not fear, you're going to be in a better position. Same thing between, you know, the difference between kindness and and being nice. Somebody says, oh, can you do this big, huge favor for me? And you're like, oh, sure. Okay. Okay. But really you're like bitter inside and you're mad about it. Well, that's toxic. That's not being nice. And you're not even helping the other person. Well, that's why we talked about conversion. Like the Christianity I was raised in was very moralistic. It was like, be nice. Why? Because you want to look holy. The, my spirituality now is become whole, which we call holy, but become right. whole. You, you said integrated or, yeah, or Val said self, self-love. self I would yeah. say self-realize, realize who I really am, realize what's going on here or whatever. Get a little bit more woke in that regard. Right. And then you're moral. Right. You're moral because exactly. there's been a shift. But we were all cart before the horse. And Jesus talks about this. He's like, you judge a tree by its fruit. And what is fruit? But what is naturally organically occurring out of you, right? So I want to get in touch with my roots and my inner working so that my fruit is organically and naturally kind, not for an afterlife reward and not to look holy, although those energies might still be there in a kinky way. I, I want to be moral because there's been a conversion. Well, but we were yeah. when, when I was in church, we were all pretending we had been converted because it's so easy to fake. All you have to do is smile. But the joke is, as soon as you get in your car at church, you're like, "You fucking asshole, get out of my!" You know, like, like well, because, then, because nothing internal, had happened, nothing had really happened. Well, and the internal pain and shame and struggle and anxiety and some of the you know some of the in, emotions that are sort of indicators 
start to boil up in you. And then you have this, this difference between maybe I'm not a nice person and I really, I'm doing, I'm having, I'm sinning and all of this stuff. But, but the truth is you can be very kind, right? But not be nice, <laughs> right? Yeah. And you yeah. do that as a parent all the time. And also what's going on inside, if you're living a dual life, if the message is going, see, I was brought up to be a caretaker and to take care of other people as a way of being nice and as a way of being nice to my family, that's what was attended to. Then I was a good person. To shut down my own emotions, to shut down my own whoever I was, I was also picking that up. You can't have a dual life and be and be whole and be who you who you are. Well, like you're saying, yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Is it's an energy of acceptance. It's not an energy of resistance. It's not an energy of repression. It's not an energy of denial. It's an energy of acceptance. What is natural is natural. And what's natural is that these things flow. They come and they go. You're listening to the the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. I'm Ed Krasnick. I think I'm still here. I'm not sure. I love that you do Um, that. Is this this air on the radio? No, but I'm projecting it into the radio. You, you don't as have to we're do talking, no, the call. Yes. That's that's an F, FAA. Like you're, you as have to like ta- say, no, you're listening to WBZ I, because like I, you don't want to intercept I'm, the president's airwaves or something. I'm actually on the air right now while we're talking. I am projecting this into WBZ. Unfortunately, the year is 1978. Uh, that's the problem with it. It's not now, which shows you how much I live in the past. I want to say if you're if you are listening to this. And you're thinking to yourself, I just want to pay my phone bill. What I want to say to you is take a minute, take a pause, take a breath, and you're doing all the same things that we're talking about, which is you're looking, you're taking a pause. All of these things happen when you make space. It's not becoming something. It's removing all the shit and letting go of all the things that that disrupt the nature of living. Everything's fine. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's just that we make believe that it's not fine. Jennifer always talks too about understanding your brain and the way your brain works and what your mm-hmm. brain's trying to do mm-hmm. and saying yes, thank you to anxiety, mm-hmm. which is something that we don't usually do. So I'm bringing that up because I, I want you to speak to that a little bit, well, Jennifer, yeah, about I mean, how to drive your brain differently. Sure. Like anxiety and depression. If you think about it, there's like a, there's a, there's a scale, just like a musical scale with emotions, right? And the very bottom, the lowest note is like depression and giving up. I mean, it's just the bottom. It's like, I can't fall any farther. I'm just going to lie here and then I can't be disappointed and I'm not going to move. And that actually comes from a reflex that if, you know, thousands of years ago, if we were a prey and we were being chased by something, eventually there's a switch that flips in your brain that goes, you know what? Forget it. I'm done for. I give up. I roll over. Fine. Take me. Right. It's, it's a, it's a very primal self-preservatory thing that when you think there's no hope, it flips over. It's just it flips over a lot in our culture because there's so much stress and there's so much going on. Above depression would be probably anxiety. At least anxiety, you kind of want to do something. You want to run or hide or freeze or something. There's something in your brain that wants you to do something and stay alive. And anxiety is very self-preservatory. It loves you. It wants to keep you safe. And it just keeps widening the net. It just keeps trying to do a better and better job until you don't have a life, essentially. 
you know, I would say above anxiety is probably anger, at least with anger, which gets a bad rap. I mean, there's such a thing as healthy aggression. You do need to sometimes get angry and protect yourself. It's important. There's good lessons in there. There's good self-protection in there. You just don't have to be an asshole. But, you know, anger is at least you've got some sass, like you're ready to take on the world a little bit. No, and then I would say, you know, broadly above that would be like frustration and then kind of meh. You're just kind of meh. And then you're content. Meh is middle C. <laughs> right. Meh. Yeah, middle C. Right. Oh, I love that. And then you're satisfied, right? And then you're happy. And then you're joyful. And then you're ecstatic. And you can't live at either end all the time. And you move up and you move down this scale. And you learn to pay attention to how these different, which are literally, they are literally scientific. There, there are vibrations that match these emotions because everything is, is vibrations, sound. Everything, everything that we're experiencing is a vibration. Our brain turns it into taste, touch, sound, smell. That's how it works. You're wearing a virtual reality suit, basically, that takes vibration and turns it into our, what we perceive as reality. And that's not woo-woo. That's actual science. And so you're moving through this scale and you get to decide how long you stay on certain notes. And you can't jump all the way from the bottom note. Okay, I'm depressed, but you know what? There's all these reasons for me to be happy. I'm just going to jump to the highest note because, because I should, because I, you know, that's impossible. Your brain won't even let you do that. But you can slowly climb up the scale. You can try to go up the scale a little bit more and stay there for a little while. And then maybe you drop down a little and then you go up a little higher and then you drop down and you kind of maneuver and you learn how to express these different emotions, which are fundamentally part of being human and learn that you can actually, you have much more control over your physiology and your biochemistry than you think you do. And, and we didn't learn that growing up. And I still think it needs to be you know taught to children in schools and and mindfulness and stuff is amazing, but but really, what is your brain doing? What are emotions? What are feelings? And how can they serve you? And how do they make you who you are? And how do you recognize them in other people? I think are things that kids should be growing up with, right? Because the brain usually is going in the opposite direction. It's it can go in a different direction. And Pete, we talk about this all the time too. How comedians' brains often work against them the very skill of the associative skill of the of the brain and how it works in comedy sometimes comedians get very depressed because the brain works in the other direction in the negative um, yeah that that i don't have to live that way i can still be on stage and not have to live that way i can still change the direction of my my thinking well, i think that the danger with being a comedian is is you're always one thought away from as Ramdas would say, where the action is, because you're always thinking about things. Judging just means labeling. You're labeling everything that you might form a thought about it and then share that thought. And that becomes your skill and you're rewarded for that. But that also creates a world of things that you are a visitor in. So it doesn't have that, like, you never get to be the spoonful of sugar that gets stirred into the iced tea. You're, you're always the commentator but, you know, as I'm saying this, that's not just comedians. Comedians always get such a bad rap. It's because we're the visible human. Like we're that transparent human model where you can see all of our organs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> my dad's not a comedian. <laughs> my dad does this. My dad is, you know, a lo- most of my family is stuck in labeling and thinking about things. And that's why spirituality is so important to me is because it's a time like a very common practice is look at a tree, but drop the label tree. Like, just don't stop, stop labeling. This is what, when Jesus says, judge not lest ye be judged, 
that Eckhart Tolle taught me that he's saying, don't label or you'll be labeled. Like if, if you label tree, then you create not tree, which is you. And then yeah. you're separate. This is the eternal pandemic of our species mm-hmm. is you mm-hmm. think there's you and then there's reality. And all of the spiritual teachers are going like, see the external, this is the Tao, see the external world as your own children. See everything as your own children, as your own self. Because yeah. peace cannot exist in the ego, except you can play that note briefly. But the real game is to go, wait, I'm I'm the thing playing the piano. I see the emotions, but yeah. I'm the thing playing and the I'm piano. And I'm part of the orchestra, right? That's really That's important. It. If you just think about people as your other self, literally, just saying that. Okay, so my wife is doing this. She's like my other self. And my other self is doing this. If you can kind of think of everyone as exactly like you, really, just trying to find their way. You know, just trying to navigate between love and fear all the time. And and we need to literally, we have got to do this as a planet. I mean, this is no joke. I mean, you look at what's happening in India now, Ed and I were just talking about with the pandemic raging. We have to take care of that or it's going to come back and get us. It's going to affect all of us. We cannot think in separation anymore. It just doesn't work that way. It never did. No one is separate. You're not separate from any living thing and belief that everything is alive uh, rather than everything is is dead, and there's a you know there's a th- this is this will go on this this goes on. Somebody uh, at the Academy Awards last night, I think it was Daniel Kaluuya, said he's had some great way of talking. He said you know freedom, peace, it goes on. You know, <laughs> and it was like some mm-hmm. kind of it was a very cool way of uh, of putting things. It's it goes on, it goes on, and we're not separate. Well, New, we want yeah. growth. We're in a constant state of creation. Honestly, that's the truth. We don't like to stagnate. And a lot of people do. And when they do, they get depressed. They get heavy. They start to feel sick. We are in a constant state of creation. And that's why it's important to either, you're either a victim or you're a learner. Well, we, we're alive. You know, there's a lot of survival that's going on in the world right now. A lot of energy towards surviving. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that we're alive. And that's why I want to write a cookbook called uh, If You're Still Alive, Everything Else is Gravy. And it's a book about sauces. It's sauces, yes, but it's also a mental health comedy cookbook. It's coming. So you said we're in virtual reality suits, which is great. Ramdas said it it was like we're in space suits, like Mm -hmm. our bodies are space suits that we can survive in this environment. And then we, we get so good at controlling them that we start to identify with them. And then we lose interest in the truth or a bigger perspective or whatever, zooming out, because we're only, all we're ever saying, if you turn the subtitles on, is like, uh, this is who I think I am. Do you see this? And and then the other person goes, yes, this is who I think I am. Do you see this? So we're just telling each other we have our costumes on straight. Yeah. But it's really fun to have these conversations. <laughs> That's so, actually a great I way to that. ask. You can actually say, is your costume on straight? <laughs> yeah. But it's really a great way instead of how are you? I love that a lot. (laughs) It's my costume. It's your costume on straight. Yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, that's right. So it's really nice to take our costumes off and and talk a little bit here. Yeah. Well, I love it. I love it. I'm so I really appreciate you doing this, and I and I love hearing this stuff. God, I could talk about this for a long time. And I'll tell you something: if I didn't have a COVID shot the other day, and I didn't feel like I was in a nuclear submarine you would see a whole different costume from me right now Um, because I, honest to God, I had a reaction that I don't even know what it is, but I'm happy to, I'm happy to be here. And I'm saying, Pete, I swear to God. Yes. Thank you. I will remember that. 
This has been existential a spiritual hour. journey. I love yeah, the existential, uh, the existential uh, variety show. I'd like to hear that. I'd like to see that. Okay, Mental Health Comedy Podcast. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe. Keep listening to Pete Holmes' podcast, You Made It Weird. Now, We Made It Weird with his wife, Val. And best to you and your family. And I cannot thank you enough for doing this. My pleasure, Ed. Nice hearing from you. And nice to meet you, Jennifer. Nice meeting you, too. Sincere pleasure. We'll be back next time. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. I'm Ed Krasnick for Jennifer Kalari and Pete Holmes. We'll see you next time. <laughs>